Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. It's straight out of Cobham, a show about Chelsea FC from The Athletic. On this episode, let us revel in the performance of the season as Chelsea book their place in the Champions League quarterfinals. The women's team get back to winning ways. We look ahead to Leicester and quiz it up. Available for free wherever you get your podcast without ads on The Athletic. This is straight into the quarterfinals. Ah, that's better. Hey, listener, what a performance from Chelsea on Tuesday night and the women's team put their Conti Cup defeat behind them as well. So all's good in the world of the Blues for now. It's me, Matt Davis-Adams, joined today by The Athletics, Dominic Fifield. Hi, Dom. Hello, Matt. How are you? I'm really good, thanks. Yeah, we've got Jesse Parker-Humphreys with us too. How are you doing, Jesse? Yeah, good. It's been a, it's been a good week, really. Yeah, it's a strange sensation to have in 2023, um, but it was rather enjoyable. A big win for the under-21s at Man United on Monday. The only possible place we can start. I joke, of course. Hey, Lucy, make us a montage. One step Chilwell takes it away from his chance. Chilwell's cross. Sterling misses his kick. Still Sterling. Yeah, it was a, a massive performance. We, we had to dig deep um, and we, we took our chances. You know, recently we haven't had the luck and, you know, we, tonight we, we felt as a team and we knew we could do it and um, Kai, Kai done it in the end. And Havertz hits the post. He's hit the woodwork for the second time tonight and the kid was completely beaten. Well, they're checking now for potential encroachment by Alexander Meyer. So he might get a chance to take it again. Incredible. He is going to take it again. It's incredible. I watched the first penalty and that didn't work so well. So I thought I'd look at the floor and just wait for the crowd to make a noise and thank God they did. Hubbard, again little steps, again little delays. This time scores! He went the same way! The goalkeeper also dived the other way! But this time the ball found the net! Yeah, I mean I tried to, to wait, you know, to, to look at the keeper. And uh, yeah, I saw that he's gonna go again for this side, so. Obviously, the second one was a bit easier. Of course, I was a bit nervous, but at the end, I, I scored, and that's the most important. It's the full-time whistle, and it's a great night for Chelsea. And the best night so far at Stamford Bridge for that man there, Graham Potter. They're through to the quarterfinals, and Stamford Bridge is alive with joy and celebration. Inevitably, in life, you're going to have bad times, and then you have good times. And it's how you react to the bad times. And then things are never bad forever, thankfully. But it felt like that sometimes, right? <laughs> well, that was delightful. Chelsea 2, Borussia Dortmund 0 at Stamford Bridge on Tuesday night. Then a properly wonderful night. The best performance of the season by a mile. And Potter waving his magic wand at last. Don't take my word for it, though. Such a momentous result demands a two-handed voice note. Here's Simon and Lim. The hits have just subsided one step beyond in park life and now you're hearing the fans next to us serenading 
Kaladu Kulabali and Reese James as they're all smiles walking back towards the tunnel. James is just throwing his shirt into the lower tier. That will cause an, an impromptu mosh pit. Didn't throw it to me. <laughs> <laughs> That's Simon Johnson next to me. Got a jumbo double voice note going on here as we manoeuvre to get out of the way of people in this press box. But what are your initial thoughts on what you've just witnessed, Simon? What a bonkers football club. Um, it was a bonkers night, wasn't it? Basically, basically, it was a night where Chelsea's luck finally turned. Um, you thought it was going to be one of those nights for a while. Kai Havertz, the shot that hit the inside of the post and went across the goal out the other end. Great clearance from Koulibaly as well. Great, yeah, you just thought, oh, they're just not going to score. And, and then, of course, the man of the opening goal, miscontrol from Raheem Sterling, actually opened, the, opened it up for him to score. And then having a retaken penalty. Um, Maybe that was all that was needed to break the curse was for Sterling to have the room to air kick, then miss kick, then I, score. I could relate to that bit of quality, <laughs> particularly the first bit, not so much the finish. But on the night, you have to say they deserved it. Um, for the most part, they were the better team. It was just the question, could they actually get past this, this goal-scoring curse? And... and Funny enough, it came from Sterling. He was having one of his worst games for Chelsea. And, and perhaps that... It's just that weird, indescribable thing that happens sometimes in football where it, something crazy like that takes something like that to happen. But basically, this is, this is Potter's night. I know, I know all the players, there's quite a lot of good performances tonight, but watching Graham Potter go through that, you could tell he was feeling it from the very first minute. And what a great few days suddenly it's been for him. You know, beat Leeds, beat Borussia Dortmund, and it, it's definitely relieved the pressure for now. I was struck on the touchline again, as I was against Leeds, but it was kind of factor of 10 by just how demonstrative Potter was yeah. throughout the entire game. Really, G, not just instructing his players, but Ging up the fans. I haven't yeah. seen him do that before. Y yeah, and, and, and maybe, who knows, look, it's going to take a lot to win over the fans, obviously, but it, it felt like the first case in the game I've been at where... It wasn't just for show. It, he was feeling it with the fans, and, I, and and that's the kind of emotion they want to want to see from him. I mean, I'm surprised he didn't pull a muscle. You know, he was especially well, in the last few minutes. He, he was gesturing. He might have done at the final whistle because <laughs> yeah. he walked onto the pitch, and then he barely turned around before Billy, Billy Reed, Reed came at him with a sprint and jumped into his arms. It was yes. a beautiful moment. Yes, I mean those two. We, we love the word suffer on uh, when it comes to Chelsea, but th those two have definitely suffered together in many second halves this season. Um, of course, Billy Reid joins Potter in the technical area for most second halves in, in games, and he was there again alongside him. So those two, it felt, felt like those two particularly have gone through a lot together and it meant a lot for them to celebrate with the players. But it was also very noticeable how the players were interacting with Potter like, it's almost yeah. like they were just as pleased for him as they were pleased for themselves I saw Enzo Fernandez give him a massive smile and hug at the final whistle when he walked on same with Koulibaly and a few others they clearly like him they, you know, we, that's the sense we got throughout this whole time he hasn't lost the dressing room they do like him as a guy they want to do well for him that's not the reason things have been going wrong but Simon I think we're not breaking any secrets by saying that we went into these two games from a coverage point of view thinking there was a, a possibility this could go really badly and this could actually be the end for Potter yeah. if, it, if it went a certain way. Instead, we've seen two wins, two clean sheets, a semblance maybe of momentum now and confidence where there really was none to be seen before. Where do you think we are? 
Uh, it's hard <laughs> to put it, but where do you think we are with Potter now? Well, it's just lifted the bit of the pressure off, hasn't it? I, I, I think it... He no... needed a moment, didn't he? Yeah, he needed and, a moment. And, and look, he had three games to, to sort of turn it around. Tottenham didn't go well, but beating Leeds, albeit unconvincingly, was a start. This, this is a different level, though. Um, this is the most atmospheric I've heard Stamford Bridge all season and it's something to build on does it does it answer the questions no but it definitely relieves some of the pressure off him and you know Chelsea have got something to look forward to as well I mean because they were facing essentially the end of their season tonight but now they've got a quarter final to look forward to and, and that's so important because yes the league there's, there's not an awful lot to play for but when you know you've got a quarter final coming up and places to fight for that is that is going to make the Premier League games sort of still meaningful so it, it, it's a huge 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 result for Graham Potter and for Chelsea and um, yeah it's just it just feels like it's um, it's been a long time coming and, and everyone's made the most of it tonight yeah I feared for them a little as I did against Leeds when they went ahead because they began to play like a team that had something to lose but they yeah. got the job done as they did against Leeds and I think that's probably a good place to wrap it up so this is Simon Johnson and Liam Toomey from Stamford Bridge back to you Matt no thank you Liam lovely job I just wondered Dom if that was Liam doing the Havertz chant that we heard whilst Simon (laughs) was talking in the opening bit of the clip I mean vindication for Toomey at last yes and you won't be surprised to learn that the the first commission that he suggested and the the aftermath of that victory on Tuesday night was a indeed a Kai Havertz piece which should be going live on Friday and I'll I'll preempt your your later prompt by suggesting that that people read that because quite frankly Liam is on cloud nine much like Chelsea support he was excellent Chelsea were excellent it's been a long time coming but it was worth celebrating yeah it sure was let's hear from Kai Havertz actually and uh, his feelings about Graham Potter we know that the, the pressure is coming at him, you know, but you can see that he's a big manager because in the media, I, I, I cannot even uh, believe maybe how many people have, have to talk to him. And I don't know, we have hundreds of coaches in, in England, you know, they, they think they know better than him. But we know in the changing room that, that he's a big personality, a big manager for us. And um, he helps us all a lot, me as well, me included. Um, so we are 100% behind him and... Um, even though the people maybe don't see it, but I think now today everyone saw that, that he's a big manager. Really interesting that, Jesse, because I feel like it's the first time we've heard from any Chelsea player about Graham Potter at all, whether I've not been listening or the question's not been asked, but, but that's pretty unequivocal backing. Yeah, I think it is. And, and I think, you know, something that I felt around the whole narrative around Potter's demeanour is that there is this element of... Well, maybe, you know, coming across a bit more softly spoken or something like that is, is something that the players in the in the dressing room want. It always feels like a bit of a antiquated view that, you know, the, the best way to man manage is to kind of stomp in and tell everyone off and get them to run around and come in on the days off. Um, when given the fact that, that the Chelsea players have gone through a massive amount of, of change kind of on and off the field... And we've seen, I guess, you know, like Mark Correa talking about, you know, players do go through things outside of football and people don't always bear that in mind. I think to be able to have someone who you feel, you know, with all the emotional intelligence stuff, 
um, is able to kind of put an arm around players and, and support them in that way is it, really valuable. I think especially when you've got such a young a young squad. Um, and you know, I think I think you could see right at the end of the Dortmund game in you know lots has been made about um, Potter kind of going up to the crowd and you know geeing them up and punching the air and all of that was was lovely. But it was also lovely to see him kind of embrace the players and it did feel like there was a, a sense of togetherness which. I mean, off the back of that result and that performance, I guess, was always going to feel like it was there. But has never felt that even throughout this run that, you know, there's been this really fractured dressing room. We can't overstate the significance of this for, for Potter, can we, Dom? I mean, they scraped the win against Leeds and, and we praised his tactics in that game, albeit it was slightly odd to see Chelsea you know, defending a 1-0 lead and making those subs against one of the worst teams in the division. But but this is an entirely different level, right? And and, and not just kind of the, the performance on the touchline. It's about the team that he selected. It's about the tactical adjustments that he made and, and pretty much everything that he did bore fruit in this game. Yeah, the approach was absolutely spot on for this match even against a team that had won 10 matches in the in a row back in Germany uh, and the Champions League and 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 were going to provide a proper test of of Chelsea's metal but it was the aggression all over the pitch and and that was almost mirrored in his emotional showing the manager's head coach's emotional showing on the touchline in the technical area um the the constant you know geeing up the players egging them on and and driving them forward getting the crowd involved i mean it's i i agree with what jesse says completely about the the empathy that's probably always existed quietly between players and potter and i, I suspect that a lot of those players maybe haven't come out and said what kai havertz has said on on tuesday because the results haven't been there and if they had come out they would have almost been going against the the general public mood um there's been a lot of skepticism amongst chelsea's support over whether this the the right appointment had been made in the dugout you know replacing thomas tuchel a a bit of a fan favorite so while that, that that empathy has probably always existed between players and potter it also needed to exist between fan base and potter and Simon made the point very well in his in his match piece from Stamford Bridge that there was a bond there for the first time properly. It was almost as if Potter was tapping into their energy and they were they were tapping into his. It was it was working together. It was there was a a bond. There was a unity. I think they could. I think the the crowd could empathise more with with this very emotional showing on the touchline than maybe they have done in some of the more robotic and and thoughtful showings that we've seen from Potter in previous matches. And it was just, it ended up being perfect in every way because there was energy everywhere, apart from in Dortmund's performance, which effectively got washed away. I mean, it was... It was it was fantastic. And, and moreover, and I'm sure you'll come on to this in a second, Chelsea got some luck at last. Chelsea benefited hugely from some good fortune, whether it be the ball dropping perfectly for Sterling after his miskick in the first goal, to, you know, the VAR decision on the award of the penalty and then the retake of the penalty. And it's it's been a while since Chelsea's supporters and team have benefited from that fortune. 
Yeah, before we get into the um, the moments of the game, if you like, let me steal a line from another popular football podcast and ask Jesse to give out some flowers. I mean, we've got Mark Kukurea left out of the previous three squads, not first teams, squads, to go to man of the match. Ben Chilwell making only his 75th appearance in three seasons. Outstanding. Kai Havertz, best ever game for Chelsea, I would posit. I mean, there were brilliant performances from, from 1 to 11 and from the subs too. Was there anyone in particular who stood out for you? For me, it was Ben Chilwell. I just thought he was immense going forward and immense defensively. And I think maybe especially off the back of of the Leeds performance as well, where I also thought he was great. Um, I just feel like having come back from the injury, it's maybe taken him some time to find his his rhythm. And again, it's obviously been a very hard run of fixtures to, to find rhythm within when, you know, it feels like everyone's looking at every player to try and do something special. Um, But, you know, there was like the block he made defensively and then obviously, you know, he wins the penalty and and going forward as well. I just thought it felt like he had it, he had it all. And I think what's really exciting about the way Chelsea played is the relationship that Felix Sterling and, and Havertz have obviously kind of begun to build together, but also the way those three, especially Felix, is then interacting with Ben Chilwell that starts to feel like putting the puzzle pieces together on on a full team um, coming together. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you could go through everyone who who played on Tuesday night, to be honest, and and make a similar case. I think for them them being standout, it was just just felt like a very long time coming for for lots of players to to maybe take the step up. And I think what was really impressive for for lots of people, Kukurea, Havertz, especially, was it, they felt confident when there was no reason for them to feel confident. And I don't know whether, like, I wrote down that maybe all we needed was Kai Havertz to know that Dortmund could Dortmund stuff up, because that's what Dortmund do. Um, but, it, it, you know, like, coming off the back of the Leeds game, it wasn't this, you know, amazing victory. It, it felt like they were inching themselves across the line. It would have been very easy for them to go into the game and, and be in their shells. And it just felt like, from the very first minute, every player, like, stood up. Yeah, shout out to uh, Koulibaly as well, who's looking like the Napoli Koulibaly, albeit he cannot finish. We found that out, certainly not with his feet in the first half. Um, so Sterling gets the first goal, then shortly after half time, the penalty. I mean, it was never a penalty, was it, Dom? I don't think that gets overturned by VAR in the Premier League. It's a good question, Matt. I, I, I wouldn't want to uh, suppose I know what, what VARs are going to give and not going to give in the Premier League on a weekly basis. I thought that by the letter of the by the letter of the ridiculous law, it was a penalty because he's made his what do you call it the silhouette of his body bigger by having his arm in that position. I mean, look, it was ridiculously close, and as in the proximity between uh, the ball being struck and 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 then hitting the Dortmund player. But but I could see why I, I, as soon as as soon as as soon as Peter Walton said. That's not going to be a penalty. He thought, <laughs> yeah, that's a penalty. Then that's gonna. It was just, that was just a wonderful moment. I know we were joking about it with Sam Parking on the on the WhatsApp group, but the the, the pause as he as a poor fella realised that oh my word, everything I've just said is completely wrong. How do I get myself out of this hole? Uh, quite something, really. But I actually thought it was. You know, I thought certainly in slow motion, it's a penalty. Football isn't played in slow motion, obviously, but it is to VARs. So Havertz hits the post with the first one. Then we get a kind of massive delay while um, Danny McKayley gets word in his ear that there's been some encroachment. How are you feeling in between penalties one and two, Jesse? 
Uh, like I was about to do a small sick in my living room. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I'm glad everyone now knows what the D in the penalty area is for. I actually already knew, but only because the other week my girlfriend asked me what it was for. And I hummed and ahed and I said, I've got no clue. <laughs> so I googled it then. So then I knew. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was... For Kai to step up again to take it um, and to take it in exactly the same way, oof, the ball's on that. It was it was ice cold. And it's so funny because obviously, you know, when he scored the, the goal in the Champions League final, that was also very cool. But he's not always someone who feels like he's got a lot of composure. And then you just get these flashes of it where you're like, wow, this is you know, why you are where you are at your age, because there is something like about him where it, it does feel like he can kind of shut everything off and, and just kind of go through the, the motions again. But yeah, very, very impressive. Um, just great moment. It really was. Um, this might be bittersweet for you, Dom, or probably just bitter, to be honest. But Conor Gallagher coming off the bench again, showing his value, I think, to Chelsea. You know, the, there were stories that he, he could have gone to Everton on deadline day. He didn't want to. He, he has mainly appeared from the bench this season. But that's all right for a player of his age and experience level, right, for a club like Chelsea. And, and when he does come on, he's showing that he's worth his place as, as a member of the squad, if maybe not the first team yet. Absolutely right. And that isn't a surprise to anybody who's, who's watched his career, who's, who've had the, uh, the good fortune to have him on loan at their clubs. The energy that he, su- he supplies um, is irrepressible. And when you're bringing him on late in games, or I think it was midway through the second half um, for, for Yao Felix in, in this game, um, it's, it's perfect because he gives opponents a, a real problem. He, you can't stop him. He runs at you. He's aggressive. He's he's a pain in the rear end. Basically, that's 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 the point. And and he's got some quality in there as well. Now, now I'm not going to say I don't know whether that's enough for Conor Gallagher, but this season it may well have to be. And then he can consider his options come the summer when there are plenty of. Plenty of issues that are still to be decided at Chelsea, and now isn't the time to to wonder about those. But he is a real asset because he offers something so different when he's coming off the bench. I mean, look, he he would argue that he could do that from the start, and he'd be, you know, he'd be he'd fit in as well. But uh, yeah, he, he's been used very very well in the last couple of games. I thought. Wouldn't say the same about Mikhailo Mudrik, Jesse. I thought it, it was pretty damning that a half-fit Christian Pulisic, who hasn't played since January, came on and, and Mudrik didn't. Yeah, and I guess maybe some of those performances where we've seen him give the ball away just felt like too high risk in, in those moments. Um, although I can't say Pulisic covered himself in loads of glory with, with his cameo either. Yeah, it's a bit of a, a strange one, I guess, especially especially with all the kerfuffle over who went into that Champions League list and and all of that kind of stuff. But it was always, I think, going to be hard to judge in that kind of split-second moment of when they had to bundle who was in and out of the squad, who was going to perform at the highest level. I still think, you know, when you look at Mudrik's kind of raw talent and the time there now is to the, the quarterfinals, maybe to to get him settled in a bit further, give him more minutes. Um, it still could turn up out to be kind of a, a wise decision. But I think, 
you know, when you look at the level of games that Pulisic has played in um, in his career, I, I can understand why that was someone who Potter felt it was more reasonable and realistic to turn to in kind of the dying stages of the game. All right, well, the draw for the quarterfinals is on Friday of next week. Um, I guess we'll take Benfica or AC Milan, preferably. Um, we'll preview the weekend's trip to the wrong side of the East Midlands later, but next we'll check in with the women's team. They were also in action in midweek. Would you like to become the headline sponsor of the most authoritative Chelsea podcast on the planet? Would you like to be front and centre on Straight Out of Cobham alongside Liam and Simon and Dom and Sam and Matt? Would you like to reach hundreds of thousands of highly engaged blues fans every month? Well, of course you would. Your brand can advertise with us now. Our skilled and charming commercial team are waiting to hear from you. Contact partnerships at theathletic.com. That's partnerships at theathletic.com. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? What's it, Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Terms or restrictions apply. Don't just ride the index, seek to outperform it with Fidelity Active ETFs. Learn more at fidelity.com slash active ETFs. Before investing in any exchange-traded fund, you should consider its investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Contact Fidelity for a prospectus, an offering circular, or if available, a summary prospectus containing this information. Read it carefully. While active ETFs offer the potential to outperform an index, these products may more significantly trail an index as compared with passive ETFs. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC, member NYSE, SIPC. Looking for Kerr, finding Kerr, Flag stays down, Sam Kerr, unselfish as well, for Ritting Cunrin, a big goal for her, and a third goal for Chelsea, the champions back in their groove. Well, Chelsea beat Brighton 3-1 at Kings Meadow on Wednesday night to ensure they moved on quickly from the Conti Cup final defeat. Jesse was all over this one for us. Um, Jesse, seven changes from that loss on Sunday. That's kind of Emma Hayes backing up her words and, and criticism of her team from the weekend. Yeah, it was interesting, right? I couldn't really figure out what she would choose to do because obviously there's the possibility that you also just say, right, you play all those players again and give them the opportunity to confidence boost. Um, but I think also these changes were as much about the Continental Cup final as they were about the game against United on Sunday, which is obviously absolutely massive, top of the table clash. Um, and so I think there was there was a need to maybe rest some players, um, to give other players the chance to to prove themselves in some ways. And I think it'll be really interesting to see off the back of this game what she goes with on, on Sunday, because, you know, players like Marimiel de Jess Carter, who, who haven't got a lot of minutes this season, but honestly haven't put a foot wrong when they've played. And, you know, listen, Brighton are probably in the worst form of any team in the WSL right now. So it's hard to read too much into the, the performance in comparison with them. But um, plenty of players came out of the game with a lot of credit, I thought. 
Um, who stood out then? I noticed that um, Ritten Canred, whose name I'm never going to be able to pronounce correctly, got, got her first goal. Sam Kerr did not get one, but she got an assist. Um, anybody who, who really had a, a good game, which would maybe make you think that they'd be in contention for Sunday where they might not have been? Yeah, I mean, I think Mielda and Carter are, are both players who you'd think could be because Chelsea's fullbacks have looked pretty awful recently, to be totally honest. Um, I thought Chankovic was probably the most impressive player. Um, I think especially coming off the back of, you know, being substituted in the first half in the Conti Cup final, it would be easy for, you know, someone to feel, I don't know, even more shy about the way they played. But she just has this real swagger about her, the way she can kind of go through defences. Some of the one-twos she was playing with JRK, uh, were really impressive, and I think the I don't see Canarid starting say over Lauren James in in the bigger games, but I think the first goal will be huge for her because you know when she came to to Chelsea, there was a sense that 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 position on the right wing was up for grabs. You know, it was before we'd seen Lauren James kind of play. We didn't really know what level she was going to be at, and I think Canarid came in expecting to fight for that. And and as it is, James has obviously played at such a level to totally justify being the starter there. But I think even after Canner had scored, you saw her have a little bit more confidence, you know, the willingness to take players on. And to be honest, even before that, there was a lovely moment where Canner had nutmegged a, a Brighton defender and played the ball through to Chankovic, who just tried to um, chip it over the keeper and, and it hit the hit the crossbar. It would have been a lovely goal. Um, and I think those two have a really good relationship. Um, the way Chankovic has built relationships with, with everyone around her, I think, has been really impressive. Clearly, her and Kerr have a, have a really good connection as well. So yeah, I think I think a lot of positives. Um, it was like it was a must-win game, and Brighton are a team who who have caused Chelsea problems in the past. Although it probably helped that uh, their two-month-old manager left by mutual consent earlier in the week as well. Um, but you know, just nice to get the job done kind of easily. Guru Wright and Sam Comey Bright all came off after seventy minutes, so didn't have to play the full match. And um, there was a WSL debut for uh, Amy Claypole as well, who's seventeen years old and very very good at football. So that was nice too. And yes, listener, uh, as you're probably aware, the old manager had been there for two months. He wasn't a two-month <laughs> Well, that might explain some of the results that they had under his stewardship. I'm really pleased we've got another acronym, JRK, to go with AKB. That really pleases JPHM MDA, I think. Um, so it's Man United to come on Sunday then. Chelsea behind them in the table only by a point, but with a game in hand. This is the, the massive march that we spoke of, isn't it? Are you going? What do you think is going to happen? Yes, I will be there. Um, sold out Kings Meadow. It's it's nerve-wracking, I think, especially after the Arsenal game. Um, but look, United have never beaten Chelsea. And Chelsea have an incredible record at Kings Meadow, which I do think will be a big, big boost for them. Um, and I think maybe in some ways the Arsenal game will have given them a bit of a kick up the arse. But equally, you know, United had a bit of a wobble before the international break, but they seem to have come back from that looking a lot better, a lot more clinical in front of goal, which has maybe been been their problem. But really, like, I think lots of the, the plaudits have gone to kind of Rousseau and Toon off the back of their, their Euros, you know, they're kind of the standout English names. But Mary Earps has just been named the best goalkeeper in the world and United have one of the best defensive records in the league um they yet to concede a goal from set pieces they look very very solid and Chelsea struggled to break them down in in the 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 fixture in Manchester um they did eventually win 3-1 because Chelsea can only win games in the WSL 3-1 but it, it took them some time um and I think if it takes them some time to score again it it could get more nervy I could see it being a draw to be honest I 
I do find it hard to imagine Chelsea losing at Kings Meadow just because of the, of the nature of, of what the right kind of ground means to them, what the atmosphere will be like. But yeah, it would be it would be massive for United if they could get the win. And it will be really, really interesting to see because I, I do think they're a very, very good team. Hey, you mentioned Alessio Russo there. Do you think Chelsea might go in for in the summer? Obviously, Arsenal had that bid turned down in January. She's out of contract, right? So there's, there's going to be a bit of a scramble for it. Yeah, I think she's a player who kind of will be on every team's top list. And, you know, I, I believe there has been Chelsea interest. She was part of the Chelsea Academy. So there is like a historic connection there. Um, and she's a United fan. So in some ways, the fact she's leaving United shows that that's kind of out the window already. Um, you know, whether the fact that she, you know, left Chelsea over the years means she's not interested in going back. I think the problem Chelsea are going to face with any kind of strikers like Alessia Russo is you just wouldn't believe that you were going to usurp Sam Kerr. And and it's going to be an issue because Chelsea do need to recruit someone as a nine. I think that's pretty clear from the amount of minutes Sam Kerr's had to play that, you know, as much as maybe letting England go was good financially and, and good for the player um, and showing some kind of respect for the player, that now you've got this issue where you have to, to find someone who doesn't want to play enough, um, you know, that so they're happy to sit behind Kerr, um, but equally can can make a difference when they're brought in. Um, it will be, it, I'm sure, basically, Rousseau is going to have bags and bags of money and, and all kinds of other things thrown at her. But I do wonder if a club like Arsenal, who can say, you will come in and you will be our starting striker, are just going to be naturally at an advantage over Chelsea, who who might say... Okay, well, you're going to share minutes with Sam for a couple of seasons, but then, you know, Sam's not going to play for us forever. So in three years' time, maybe you'll be our starting striker. Um, Well, Chelsea have made a signing this week, or announced one at least. Nicky Everard, another keeper. This this is a bit of a noodle scratcher for me. Does this mean that one of AKB or Musovic will have to be shipped out in the summer? Is, Is Everard coming in as a first choice or a backup? Yeah, this is a really interesting one. And, you know, Everard, for, for anyone who doesn't know, basically had this standout Euros playing for Belgium. Um, she was absolutely ridiculous, a massive part of them really overperforming expectations. But, you know, she's, I think, 27, 28. And, you know, she's only kind of really played in, in Belgium, stuff like that. She's not like a proven keeper at a high level uh, by any stretch, but... Look, Chelsea signed AKB from Birmingham. They're perfectly kind of au fait with with picking up goalkeepers who maybe haven't played at the highest level before. But yes, it does leave them with, you know, three kind of top pros, as it were. And I think before Musovic signed her new contract, the expectation was that Everard would be AKB's backup and Musovic would be allowed to go. That's presumably not going to happen now. Um, AKB still has a year left on her deal. There's also the kind of academy goalkeeper, but she's not academy anymore. Uh, Emily Orman, who's been floating around as well. She was on loan at Crystal Palace last season, and but she's been at Chelsea all this season. Um, so I don't know if the idea is that they'll just keep three goalkeepers next year. It's, it's a really, really bizarre one. Um, I've got zero clarity on what the plan is for the goalkeepers or even what the goalkeeper situation is right now. Like Musovic was in goal again last night. So it is a it's a very, very strange one. And I don't really understand how Everard fits in in terms of the amount of development I think she still needs to reach the very highest level. Um but clearly Chelsea have seen something in her. Wolfsburg were interested as well. They love to hoard goalkeepers too, so maybe we're just following the, the Wolfsburg model. 
<laughs> all right. Well, we'll see how that one unfolds in the fullness of time. And on Monday, we'll bring you all the details of Chelsea's 3-1 win against Man United. Uh, next today, though, let's get back to the men's team. They're off to the King Power. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Leicester versus Chelsea on Saturday then. I'll be going to this one. Be weird if I did a voice note though, wouldn't it? So we'll leave that uh, in the hands of the experienced guys. Um, Dom, do Chelsea need to, to win this to show they have actually progressed rather than, than just put in one brilliant performance and then one sort of functional one against Leeds? It's about momentum, isn't it? It's about it's about maintaining standards that have been set against Dortmund and to a certain extent with the grittiness against Leeds as well. They've got to in the build-up to the quarter-final. I mean, I think I think the season is pretty much all about the Champions League now. It's it's the Premier League. Certainly, the race for fourth is is probably beyond Chelsea. I suppose there's Europa League or Conference League qualification at stake. Although Simon's made his feelings pretty clear on that one in one of the articles he wrote last week. Um, it's but it's it's about players showing that they should be involved in the quarter-final of the Champions League. And to do that, the only way to do that really is to is to perform in, in games like this. They need to they need to keep building up the belief. They need to keep tapping into some positivity with the fan base as well. There'll be you know a large travelling supporter at the King Power on Saturday. You don't want a, a repeat of recent anemic performances away from home. You've you've got to you've got to show that you can build on what what was achieved against Dortmund. And you know you look at it on paper, Leicester are there for the taking. And you'd like to think there are a few Chelsea players, even those that aren't involved in the Champions League squad, that that want to be showing the world that they should have been. I mean, you know, Badia Shield and the like would love to be involved in the Champions League and have, have, have certainly been some of Chelsea's better performance of, of late in the league. But but yeah, it's it, Potter's, Potter's established that bond. Now it's about maintaining it. It's interesting selection-wise, isn't it, Jesse? We're talking about how Emma Hayes mixed up her team um, for the game against Brighton. But it'd be harsh if, if Kukurea didn't start this game, wouldn't it, I suppose? But then it'd be harsh if Badi Ashil didn't too. And, and what do you do? Do you bring Mudrik in? Do you say, well, Madueke needs a, a few more minutes? As Dom says, it, this is the game you want in the Premier League at the moment. Leicester away, lost four in a row in all comps. Uh, they've only won once at home in the league since October. Chelsea get an early goal. The atmosphere is mutinous. But do you risk mixing things up a lot? Or are you sticking with, with what started on Tuesday by and large? 
Yeah, this is where we swing back to the the problems Potter's had all year, really, right, isn't it? Um, Definitely watching the game against Dortmund, I kind of couldn't help but think through the squad and, and think, you know, where where on earth does does all this get chopped down in the summer? Um, and it's very easy to to kind of go both ways. On the one hand, do you wrap everyone in cotton wool because you know you're starting eleven against Dortmund with the players that that you want, or equally, do you want to give them more time together to kind of build relationships? Um, I do think it would be nice to see more of Madueke and, and Mudrik, but um, then yeah, you're like well. When Sterling, Felix, and, and Havertz are clearly building something together, you want to maximise the the games where they play together, so that gets stronger. And I think you know the way Sterling played against Dortmund, the way Leicester, of, the goals Leicester have conceded recently, those kind of runs in behind feel like they could be really crucial. Um, but equally, is that something that that Mudrik could do? Uh, it's a really, really tough one. I do not envy him at all. And I've also got no clue what he's going to do because it seems like he just chops and changes um, at will. And um, it doesn't really seem like he's he's settled on, on something clear yet. I'd assume maybe we will see at least Badia Shield because like, he feels pretty nailed on in the in the Premier League at the moment. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, this, it's this constant, you know, like short, medium, long-term vision. You're trying to win the game, then you're thinking about the Champions League quarterfinals, and then you're also thinking about, you know, betting in players for next season. There is a, a sort of specific tactical question, I guess, on certainly on Madueke and, and Mudric, in, in as much as if, if you're playing this system, which Chelsea have done in the last two games with three at the back, and all the width being provided by James and Chilwell, which is clearly the way to go because they've been so excellent. Um, and and that, that pairing were indeed the, the go-to for, for previous Chelsea head coaches. Then, then what, if you've got two natural wingers in, in Mudrik and Madueke, where, where do they fit into that? They, they, they want to be drifting wide, you'd, you'd suspect. And yet that's the territory that the wingbacks are supposed to be infiltrating. So I don't really know where they fit full stop into the 3 4 two, one or whatever we're going to call it that Potter's now adopted. So that's a dilemma, and it's something that that uh, I'm hoping that that Liam is going to tackle as a piece at some point because because Mudrik is a, as you mentioned in the previous section, it's, he's almost become the elephant in the room in terms of the signings um, and and getting into that Champions League squad. Like, you know, he, he wasn't bought for such vast expense to be uh, providing cameos off the bench occasionally and 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 not 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 even always the go-to man for that. Um, behind semi-fit Christian Pulisic, etc. Um, I know it's early days. I know he's young. I know he's got to adapt. All those usual caveats come into it. But the system that Chelsea have stumbled upon, or, or rather reverted back to, doesn't really lend itself to natural wingers like him. Stick him at right wing back for this one and wrap up Reese and Cottonwell until the Champions League quarterfinals. Um, that's my heavy level of tactical insight. Uh, it's a three o'clock kickoff in Leicester on Saturday. And of course, we'll tell you how Chelsea got on in our Monday show. Elsewhere in Chelsea news, the under-21s won 3-1 away at Man United on Monday night. Mason Burster, Leo Castledine and Malik Mothersill got the goals. Means the Blues are second in PL2, two points behind Man City, having played a game more. Their next match is at home to Liverpool on Saturday. And the under-18s are back in action for the first time in nearly a month this weekend. They welcome Brighton to Cobham also on Saturday. All right, next, it's quiz time. Feels like a rarely fought fixture. 
this one. Uh, listener <laughs> contestants, you know the drill. <laughs> Three questions apiece. None of them on LinkedIn, Dom. Don't you worry. Uh, <laughs> you're up first today, though. Who scored the only goal of the 2020 FA Cup quarterfinal between Chelsea and Leicester behind closed doors at the King Power Stadium? Who won? <laughs> <laughs> it was 1-0 to one of the two teams who played. 2020, where did Chelsea get in the FA Cup there? Didn't Leicester... Uh, 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 Leicester won the FA Cup in 2021. There's a clue. <laughs> uh, uh, why do I put myself in? <laughs> <laughs> um... Mason Mount. Want to steal it, Jesse? Um, Tony Rudiger. Oh, it's a good guess, but it's not right. It was Ross Barkley, believe it or not. We could have sat here all day on that one. Yeah. All right, Jesse, you got a tap in for your first question. I did think that was a tap in for Dom, to be fair, but um, maybe not. Uh, Name the three former Leicester players in Chelsea's Premier League squad. Uh, Wesley Fana, Ben Chilwell and N'Golo Kante. Don't worry, Dom. They do get harder for Jesse after this. Uh, second question for you, Dom. <laughs> just to wait the speed at that. I'm so dis- demoralised now. <laughs> yeah. It's a psychological battle, this. Just, oh, I'm broken. Right, that was on. a power move, definitely. Come on. Um, which former Chelsea youth team are lined up for Leicester in Chelsea's 3-1 win at Filbert Street in October 1996? Uh, read it again. Which former Chelsea youth teamer, who left without yeah. making a first team appearance, lined up for Leicester in Chelsea's 3 1 win at Filbert Street in October 1996? Uh, who played for Leicester? 96. So that was Martin O'Neill's spell. Okay. Yep. So that's a start. Uh, Muzzy Is It. Absolutely spot on. Remember Muzzy Is It, Jesse? Really? Yeah. Oh, do I get next? No. <laughs> <laughs> He's a quiz question in himself, isn't he? Old four Zs in one name. Reading. Um, okay, Jesse, you're either going to know this one straight away or you're not going to know it at all. Uh, as we've heard, Chelsea play Man United in the WSL on Sunday. Uh, they may well come face to face with former Blues defender Maria Thor's dot here. According to my good friend Wikipedia, her dad is coach of the Norwegian national team in which sport? Handball. Oh, just like that. <laughs> oh, sorry, Dom. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, if you're anything like me, when handball's on in the Olympics, you, you watch it for five minutes and then the TV gets turned off by uh, your other half because you're just going, handball! That was handball, wasn't it? <laughs> Every time somebody touches oh, it. Oh, I'm 40 years old. Yeah, they <laughs> do. Uh, final question then, Dom. So you're 2-1 down. Who came off the bench to score the third and final goal in Chelsea's 3-0 win at Leicester last season? Uh, Who's always on the bench? Uh, Pulisic. Oh, that's really good. Well, that's a good guess. Yeah, it was. (laughs) He scored a goal. Yeah. (laughs) That's why I put it in. Uh, Okay, so it's 2-2. Jesse, if you get this, you win. Lucy has put a tiebreaker in. Oh, no. Yeah, Jesse, I'm with you on this one. (laughs) (laughs) 
What was the score in the second leg of last season's Champions League quarterfinal between Real Madrid and Chelsea at the Bernabeu? Not as easy as you think, is it? Was it 4-2? It was not, Dom, if you can steal it. Do I want to steal it, though? (laughs) You'd avoid avoid the tiebreaker if you do. Chelsea were winning easily, weren't they? So, um, uh, 3-2 to Chelsea? 3-2 is the score now because you've won. It was 3-2. That is correct. Came from behind. It's a big victory. Wait a minute, is that... Oh, my maths is screwed. Really? Yep. You oh, got your last two right. Jesse got their first two right. You just pinched their last one. Quite frankly, I resign now. That's me done. That's fantastic. <laughs> I, 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 I don't know what to say. I'd just like to thank my family. I'd just like to thank, <laughs> thank Matt, thank Lucy, thank Jesse. Um, Jesse, if it makes you feel any better, this was a tiebreaker. I don't think either of you would have got it. What's the distance in miles between Stamford Bridge and the King Power? Open brackets via the quickest possible route according to Google Maps. Close brackets. Oh my god, you've got so much spare time on your hands. <laughs> Would anybody like to hazard a guess? 117 miles. Jesse? I'll go 190. Oh, you'd have been closest, Dom. It's only 105 miles. Is that right? Oh. Yeah. Fascinating. Expected. <laughs> nice easy train route as well. There'll be loads of noisy Chelsea fans there on Saturday. Looking forward to seeing that. Uh, elsewhere on The Athletic, Simon's got a piece up about the night Chelsea supporters and Graham Potter bonded. And Liam Tharm's got a really good tactical piece on the Blues approach to that Dortmund game. Go to theathletic.com slash Chelsea pod to sign up if you aren't currently a subscriber. Anything else in the works we should be aware of, Dom? Well... Liam's Havertz piece definitely for for Saturday. Simon's at the game. Um, sorry, for Friday. Simon's at the game on Saturday. Uh, he's got a couple of things in the pipeline for next week. Uh, I think we we will do a Mudrich read at some point, maybe over the international window to, to work out what's going on with him and his his development at Chelsea. Uh, and I and I would just on a purely selfish basis urge all subscribers to go and read some of the Derby Days features that we've been running of late. Uh, the Belgrade piece this week was fairly spectacular from Danny Taylor and uh, it's a very good one from Ollie Kay on Liverpool versus Manchester United and whether that should even be classed as a Derby. Yeah, I think Danny Taylor probably would have done one on Forest against Derby County, but he can't because Derby County are in the third division this season and Forest are in the Premier League. Um, now then, Jesse, I'm currently at Centre Parks. The snow is falling. There's loads of flying geese around, though, which allows me to link seamlessly to your newsletter that people can sign up for. <laughs> that was brilliant, brilliant, brilliant done. Uh, yeah, if you want any uh, WSL or just general women's football content, I did a read about why Chelsea lost the Conti Cup final um, at the start of this week. You can go to flyinggeese.substack.com and join my gaggle. Yeah, do it. Join the gaggle. Uh, I am very much obliged to Dom and Jesse for their company today and to Lucy and to Liam and Simon for that fantastic double-handed voice note. We're going to be back on Monday when we'll be celebrating three wins in a row and Chelsea going top of the WSL. Everything's fine now, guys. Don't worry. Uh, Join us for that if you can. For now, though, it's goodbye. The Athletic.